Alright listeners, time to resume our regularly scheduled programming. This is episode 181. I'm Greg Domage and I have a ton of news to drop on you because of the fact that we had that big special feature trio of podcasts in which I did not drop a lot of news on you. So time to get caught up in everything basically since Christmas. Here we go! In case you had any doubts, Tina Ola has continued to do crowdfunding chronicles. She reported on La La Land, which was a graphic adventure RPG kind of hybrid out of a small studio in Moscow, which uh, the campaign ended back in January. So uh, hopefully it got funded because it looks really neat, full of a whole lot of style. The other thing she covered is something I'm super excited for myself. It's a little adventure game called Tangle Torn. It's a roguelike card game deck building kind of RPG, which looks fantastic so much amazing style i like card games i'm probably gonna like this i'm gonna assume it got funded because that ended up on january 24th we had an incredibly robust special feature that dropped back uh, near the end of december that was written by scott for us which was so you want to get into the trails series so scott goes in depth into the entire trails uh, arc and how to start it, where to get into it, what each game brings to the series, and I definitely recommend reading this feature if you have any passing interest in the Trails series or any invested interest in getting into the games, have dropped off it at any point, whatever. He has played them all, he has touched on even the ones that haven't come over here. I definitely recommend this, especially with the new Trails game on the horizon, and with uh, the possibility that those Japan-only ones may get localized over here. We shall see. With the end of the year and our entire episode uh, trilogy that spanned it was the RPG Fan Games of the Year Awards for 2019. So we had all of our Editor's Awards and all of our Category Awards. If for some reason you missed it with that last podcast, those are still a thing. Go check those out. As well, we had our 30 most anticipated RPGs of 2020. So if you want to see what we're looking forward to coming into 2020 or if there's anything you just haven't heard about and needs to get on your radar, that is the feature for you to go check out. So the bulk of this intro is definitely going to be focusing on our wonderful reviews department who have been hard at work over this past month with a lot of new releases and such that have hit us right around the holidays and coming into the new year. And we have a crazy 2020 ahead of us for releases. So jumping right off the bat, first of all, we have Jonathan Logan's revisit to Cadence of Hyrule, Crypt of the Necrodancer featuring The Legend of Zelda. He jumped into the Octavo's Ode DLC that kind of added some new stuff to it. So if you want to know what this brings to the game, go check out his Crypt of the uh, Necrodancer, Cadence of Hyrule review that he did give editor's choice to, and I don't think uh, Octavo's Ode has uh, detracted from that in any way, shape, or form. Next on our list is Bob Richardson's ever-continuing adventures in Life is Strange 2. He's touched on episode 5, which seems to be maintaining the quality of the entire overall story. SD Gundam G-Generation Cross Rays came overseas to us, and Kyle Cortvelli was all over it, as some of you may remember from, uh, I think, the last episode before we got into our Game of the Year feature. It looks awesome. I, I like me some Gundams and some Mecha, as we have discussed, and overall, uh, Kyle seems pretty pleased by the entire experience. Vampire the Masquerade Coteries of New York came out as well, which uh, caught me by surprise with it wasn't as great as he thought it was going to be, actually. It only kind of came in at a middling kind of score with him, which is funny because I think he was also playing another indie game at the same time and was shocked that the indie game was a lot better than what he was expecting, and conversely, Vampire was far worse than he was expecting. At any rate, good things going forward, but I think it leaves a lot more to be desired, unfortunately. 
Have you been listening to Retro Encounter? Well, if you haven't, you should be, because we had a great episode with the team over at Z-Boyd Games, and part of that was discussing Cthulhu Saves Christmas that came out just around the holidays. Uh, we all played it, Jonathan Logan was reviewing it for the site, and gave it RPG Fan Editor's Choice, because it is a tight, fun little JRPG that is really well put together and a whole lot of fun. Bob Richardson also found time to dive into the PC release of Dragon Quest Builders 2, which, again, seems like a pretty solid above-average experience. I know, has the same thing to say that the combat still hasn't quite got to what we would love to see from this series, but everything else is definitely a joy, and I'm sure the control scheme on PC might lend itself a bit better, but Switch, PC, PS4, you've got some solid options to play this game. Well, speaking of PC experiences, one that made the jump from PC over to consoles was Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition, which I reviewed for the Nintendo Switch. And again, overall, it's held up fairly well, but it's a bit clunky on the Switch. And you can go check out my review on the website if you want to read more in-depth about what I had to say about this uh, longtime classic from Bioware. Uh, in a much more robust DLC release, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 had the Rise of the Phoenix DLC come out that uh, Audrey Bowling went back to the game to revisit, and overall it seems to add a lot of good stuff for fans of the series. So there's basically more solid Ultimate Alliance 3 to enjoy, and uh, you'll most likely enjoy what you're going to find in Rise of the Phoenix. So it's definitely worth getting into if you're a fan of the game. Making the jump over to PC also is Monster Hunter World Iceborne, which uh, I am shocked how quickly uh, Bob Richardson was able to find time for this and get through it, but overall he thinks it made the jump quite well. It's going to be a lot more of uh, the, the same grind and the time demanding, and nothing really different as I spoke about on the PS4, but it's still a great piece of DLC and now you can play it on PC, and hopefully they've fixed all the save issues by now. Uh, in a bit of a shift from our usual stuff, we did a review based on uh, a fan translation of Dai Gyakuten Saiban Naruto Ryunosuke no Boken, which is uh, the great Ace Attorney, if I'm not mistaken. And we do have a official copy of the Japanese version, but it hasn't been officially localized yet. But either way, we've after much rigmarole, we decided to review it. Jonathan Logan played it and overall thinks it's a great addition to the Ace Attorney series and worth checking out um, Scarlet Studies fan translation as well and we're all just hoping that Capcom will give us a official release at some point in the near future. And there's more DLC. Kingdom Hearts 3 Remind gave us some DLC for Kingdom Hearts 3 and uh, it's maybe not as exciting as fans would hope for. I mean, folks are hoping for some more story gaps to be filled in and such, which it does with a bit, but it doesn't really add a lot for what uh, it offers and just kind of seems to go over the same stuff, unfortunately. So uh, check out Zach's review and see if you want to jump back into Kingdom Hearts 3 with this DLC or if you're just happy with the experience as it's been. And then we have a lovely little title from uh, Neil Shandran's review of Mythic Ocean, which is just a delightful, relaxing, very chill-looking RPG with just some wonderful uh, aesthetic appeal. And it's just a nice classic visual novel that can be uh, a really lovely little experience to explore. So go check out his review of Mythic Ocean because it uh, looks really delightful. And we have our final review of this tirade of reviews. It's To the Moon, which dropped on the Nintendo Switch with its kind of enhanced version with uh, some updated graphics, a little bit of story content added into it, and 
just refined for consoles, and Zach Wilkerson got the hands-on review of it for us, which overall he seems pretty pleased with it, even though he had some frustrations with those controls of it being ported over to uh, a console. Uh, for uh, the video team, we also jumped in and did a nice video review for you folks as well. So if you want to read Zach's review or hear his lovely voice and watch some of the wonderful visuals from the delightful story that is To The Moon, please check out both reviews and uh, see if it's finally time for you to experience this wonderful classic indie RPG darling if you haven't yet already. And as per usual, we close out with the wonderful work of our music department. Patrick Gann got his ears into the Chamberworks Near Automata album, and it sounds lovely, as that whole thing has wonderful music, and Sean Chavriansky is uh, no stranger to producing wonderful work. So go check out Patrick's review if you are a fan of Near Automata's music, the game, all of it in between. It is definitely worth listening to this. Our other review is a beautiful, like, Oh, it looks so lovely. The Skies of Arcadia Eternal Soundtrack Vinyl Edition. It's three vinyl albums that Hilary Andreff reviewed for us. And just the production value on this is absolutely stunning. Like, if you, <laughs> I don't have a record player, but I want to get this if only just to have the entire collection for myself. Because um, Wayo Records has just done amazing work with this whole collection. Uh, please check out Hilary's review. Have a listen to the music. It's going to be... Uh, really worthwhile for you to listen to this incredible project and that's it thank you so much everybody welcome back to a new episode of random encounter a new year of random encounter we're going to keep this going through 2020 and my thanks to everybody for uh, their feedback on to whether they like this new stuff or not everyone seems inclined because it draws attention to stuff they wouldn't normally know about so at any rate moving on with this let's get to episode 181 Hey everybody, we are back in the new year. Uh, I mean, you've listened to a bunch of the uh, super special giant three-part Game of the Year stuff, but now we're back to just normal, regular, old episodes, uh, which means normal, regular, old people like myself, Greg Delmage, your host today, and I've got Pete Leavitt back on the podcast. Pete, welcome back. Hello, thank you so much. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you back because uh, you were good for conversation last time. Uh, unfortunately, nobody else but me wants to talk to Pete, so it's just the two of us. I kid, Jono was going to join us, but his throat was sore, so he had to back out the last minute, unfortunately, with uh, sore sickness stuff. Get well soon. Yes, but uh, no worries. Uh, we'll get we'll get more conversation going in the future. But for now, uh, what's, what's going on, Pete? How's your, your year of barbering been? How's your cork floors treating you? <laughs> it's been great. Things have been going pretty well, thankfully. Um, and uh, yeah, just a lot of science put into a pretty good 2020. You know, I don't really have much reverence for the new year and what it represents for some people. I just don't share that. I get it and it's cool. Uh, and if people use that as a vehicle for self-improvement and things, it's really great. Um it, it, so what I'm saying is it's a me problem, <laughs> but 
just having the context of you know the year starting and it being January, it's actually been a pretty great January for me, thankfully. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff that restarts whether you like it too or not. So something's gonna, uh, I guess, fall into place one way or the other for the new year for you. But yeah, I get what you mean where you don't really put stock in like the resolutions and stuff like that and making this such a big milestone and a big source of pressure for yourself. What you're saying is I need to just get in I need to step in line. That's, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. Uh, cause I'm, I'm more or less the same way. Like I made some like gaming resolutions and stuff like that, but as the far as life ones. resolutions, I find it all just kind of blurs together at this point. Um, which I've found is the case ever since I started having a family with Annette. Of course, it's just another week. Yeah, of course, setting goals and pushing yourself to improve is very important, and people use the new year for that, and then so it's it's really really good. Yeah, exactly. I my hang up is I don't, and again, it's not me like bragging about it, but <laughs> it could be something I, I learn in the future. We'll see. Yeah, who knows? For now, you can just be hipster about it. Yeah, be all too cool and all that stuff. But at any rate, we are here in the new year for the first proper episode, and uh, thanks everybody for listening all right that's it it's been a good episode bye bye no uh (laughs) uh, as you can probably expect uh from the two of us being together uh giant robots are probably going to be brought up uh but before we get into that uh i was uh dabbling with um the i'm gonna mess up the name okay pokemon mystery dungeon rescue team dx there we go i (laughs) very nice second and really process it any rate, uh, back when the demo came out, when they were talking on the Nintendo Direct, uh, did you see the the Pokemon Direct that they had, and or the video I did about it? I didn't see the direct. I and I missed your video, and I'm really sorry to see. I heard some rumblings here and there about the Pokemon Direct, though. I heard. Um, I'm sure we're gonna get, get into it, but I heard about them adding the new Pokemon and yeah. um, the kind of roadmap that they announced. So that's pretty cool. But I did not hear about the mystery dungeon game uh, and those rumblings. That's basically how they kicked it off uh, before getting into the sun and moon. Nope. That's the wrong game. That's how they kicked <laughs> it off before getting into the sword and shield kind of stuff uh, was with throwing back to uh, the red and the red rescue team and blue rescue team mystery dungeons back in, I think it was 2006. Right. Saying. And they've remastered those Game Boy Advance games now to release on the Switch. And on that same day, the demo was available. So the demo's been out for a bit. But it's great because, like, the art style... Did you see anything about, uh, I think, Audra who did the review for Doraemon Story of Seasons? Did you read her review and or just check out any of the screenshots from Doraemon Story of Seasons? I have, yes, yeah. Well, so you know how it has kind of that storybook kind of pastel... It's gorgeous. Kind of, I love yeah, it. Yeah, right? Yeah, and that's what they're bringing to the this game now. So they're re kind of they're kind of redoing the entire engine with all three D models and such to bring it up to a new generation. But the backgrounds, the and the coloring of the characters and stuff is all very storybooky and in that sort of style of like yeah. It's art like it's direction. like hand. It looks almost hand painted or whatever hand done. Exactly, it's really right? really nice. Yeah, and it's fantastic looking, and I think it's like a gorgeous way to present these stories. Like, I mean, I wouldn't even hate if the mainline Pokemon game took on an art direction like this, but to separate Ooh. the two, I think it's a really nice choice to make it this way. And it's definitely catering to its audience of kids and such as well with this kind of look and appeal. So 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's stunning. That's like it immediately caught my eye, if only from the visual standpoint. <laughs> Gosh, I really am regretting not checking this out, but now I'm definitely going to. Yeah, if it looks like that Doraemon game in that kind of hand painted style, that's something to behold. Mm-hmm. And it's otherwise uh, more or less all the same sort of thing. Like you start up the game and you get a little quiz that kind of helps you choose what kind of Pokemon you are based on like your personality choices, which kind of harkens back to like Ogre Battle for me. I think all the Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre games have that. Definitely Ogre Battle yeah. 64 did. But yeah, that's really they cool. Did. And my favorite was in the original SNES version of Ogre Battle was there's one localization uh, error for one of the questions was like, um, it was like, who would you save from a burning building? And it was like your your ailing mother, uh, your child. And then the third one was you, beautiful lover. Like they dropped the R on you. Oh, right. <laughs> it was just really a funny error to miss. Yeah, that game was flirting with you. Right? Would you save yourself, you beautiful lover? <laughs> and at uh, any rate... Back to uh, Mystery Dungeon. Yeah, so they have a big questionnaire. And, like, it's got some really funny questions. Like, one of them was, like, you know, what happens if... What would you do if aliens invade? Like, would you fight? Would you run away? Would you do nothing kind of thing? <laughs> just just stand there. <laughs> right? Well, I had a follow-up question, too, of, like, so the aliens win. What do you do? Do you join them? Or do you, you know, uh, like, rebel against them or whatever? And so it was kind of funny, all these... Very interesting questions, not just simply like, do you like ice cream? Yes or no, or whatever. Uh, so I thought yeah, that, that was that's, interesting. Yeah, that's like a potentially dark, like what if an invading force invaded your home and tried to force you to assimilate? Would you, how, to what degree would you resist? Like that's what it's asking. Like is that for Pokemon? Well, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, Pokemon? No. Invade? No, it was uh, it was interesting. I did say yes. I would eventually join the aliens, though, because it's I was more honestly that the, the protect my family thing, right? Unfortunately, I, I think I think well, I think that's the most realistic answer. You know, I mean, resistance and all that. Is, man, let's get into this. I guess you know that like when we see like uh, dictatorships and whatever, and how they manage to keep people in line, often it's through you know hard propaganda and threats and whatever. Uh, well, it's, that's what I mean. Is like it's usually the threats that do it, and people don't necessarily like being there. But what are you going to do? At least I can keep my head down and maybe avoid some risk. That's a realistic and answer. Someday there could be an opening. Who knows? I mean, yeah, but even taking that opening represents a huge risk, especially if you're not oh, looking absolutely. out for just yourself. Yeah, and it's it it's a very hard question. Man, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, asking those hard, hard uh, philosophical questions. <laughs> well, uh, did you ever watch Colony on Netflix? It only got three seasons, sadly, but it's a no, great I show. No, I didn't. I didn't see uh, that. But it's essentially that, that aliens come down and colonize Earth by, like, breaking, like, the states and everything into different colonies. And then you basically have the choice of resist or join them or just kind of be subjugated. So, like, certain humans would join like their special police force that was essentially was working for the occupiers. And then everyone else was just normal humans that got rations and yada, yada, yada. And we're all had a pretty normal life by and large, but there's curfew and all that stuff. It was interesting. And so, yeah, the main characters have to make those hard choices of like, 
do we just keep towing the line to protect our family and ourselves or not? It really made it weirdly brought me right to that show. And I was like, yeah, what would I, how would I go about this? And it depends on the occupiers. Like they never said that they were evil aliens that were killing everybody. They I mean, just... if, if they invaded, then they're probably attacking and being aggressive. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it could be also like, maybe their plan was effed up and they're just hoping we'd say yes. Who knows? At any rate, the implication is that they're supposed to be attacking, but yeah, either way, it all really depends. So all that being said, I was chosen to be a skitty. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) All that That uh, sounds like a a euphemism for a a sellout or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, skitties were, are they black and white? I forget when they got introduced, what generation, but they're just these adorable little pink cats. Um but I, you also have the choice of just saying, no, too bad, I want to take the quiz again, or just picking what you want. But it's kind of fun right. to have that. So I actually did decide to pick what I wanted just for the sake of the demo because I loved a Bulbasaur. So I was like, I'm going to be a Bulbasaur. So I picked Bulbasaur, but then you get to pick your partner. And my partner, I made Skitty. I was like, I'm at least going to honor the quiz to a point. Mm, I take that nice. stuff seriously. So, so honorable. I got myself a, a Bulbasaur and a Skitty. And yeah, you wake up in the Bulbasaur's body and you're apparently a human, but you somehow... I have you. I haven't figured out how yet, but you've been transferred into being a, uh, a Pokemon in this Pokemon world, and then very quickly you hear someone's in distress, and you go into like a, a roguelike kind of dungeon that is procedurally generated. So it goes into that top-down, three-quarter kind of view of you navigating the dungeon. Every move you make, enemies make closer towards you or away from you. Like everything's, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's like turn-based, where you 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 can pause the game basically by just not moving or taking an action. Exactly. But if you take an action, the enemy is allowed to take an action. Yeah, very classic roguelike stuff. It is. It's it's very well rooted in the uh, in the, the classic turn-based style, and I think Pokemon translates really nicely to that. And it's interesting, obviously coming at it from not having a trainer so but they still insisted on putting the human element in it by making us into a pokemon like i'm i'll see how the story goes and it might be more compelling but at the moment i'm just like why can't i just be a pokemon but whatever <laughs> so you go in and you're trying to save butterfree's caterpie kid there's a fissure that opened up so you go down into this dungeon that opened in the fissure and navigate through fighting other pokemon that are more aggressive because of this earthquake or whatever and you use all your staple pokemon moves that it's pretty basic, like, you you just mash the attack button and it'll do a random one of your moveset, but I haven't figured out yet if, uh, I haven't played it extensively enough yet to know, can I pick just a specific move? Will that work to my benefit with type matchups? So if I want to yeah. make sure I'm picking, well, I want to do the poison attack because I'm attacking this fighting type, you know, or whatever, um, or make sure I'm using my psychic attack against uh, this... Uh, ghost type as opposed to the grass move because I know it'll be super effective or does the game automatically do that I don't know because most of the stuff I was fighting were bugs and grass types anyway so I'm not sure if the Bulbasaur character was just doing whatever felt best at any rate uh, Skitty was a monster and destroyed a lot of things too so (laughs) it was just uh, it was pretty cool that's why it would join the aliens no um, (laughs) either way I'll probably check it out with Gwen at some point I'm sure because yeah she still loves her Pokemon stuff she was just drawing original Pokemon the other day. That's and great. she was very excited for all the Sword and Shield news, which uh, came out. So she hasn't tried this demo yet because she got The Sims 4 for herself for after Christmas with her Christmas money. So she's been obsessed with that instead. But uh, Good for her. I'm assuming she'll be enjoying this as well because it's, it's very simple and straightforward, both mechanically, because that roguelike mechanic is very simple. 
and the stories are very basic. Like you're just going in and trying to rescue a creature or save somebody. And this case, yeah, it's the Kaidapa. You get to the end and you save it, bring it back to the mom. And she's like, oh my gosh, thank you. We don't have much, but here's 500 bucks. <laughs> it's like, but if you don't have much, why are you give him? Anyways. Oh, I love it's that. RPG elements. <laughs> right? This is all I can offer you. My life savings. Right. <laughs> you saved my life from ruin. Let me ruin my life to reward you. Thank you for saving my child. I can no longer feed. <laughs> uh, welcome to Dark Encounter. No. Uh, oh, yeah. Anyways. And uh, yeah, you level up your characters as they go. So they get more abilities and they learn moves. Kind of relearn them as um, you wouldn't like the mainline Pokemon games. So it's cool. Like they've done a good job of mashing the two mechanics together. And I think that works well. It's going to be a very compelling gameplay thing. I'm looking forward to getting into more complex dungeons than just like the opening one, because the opening one is a lot of just kind of big empty rooms. Uh, they introduce the mechanics slowly in a really nice tutorial way of like, yep, here's some enemies to fight. And then the next floor is like, oh, you can find some random treasure on the ground. And then I'm sure eventually there'll be traps and puzzles to solve and stuff too. So I'm looking forward to how that develops. But uh, yeah, you save Caterpie, you go back and they're like, hey, I found, I have a house for you since, you know, you're going to be staying here for a while as a Pokemon. And you're like, all right, cool. I like this house. And uh, you're like, wait, I'm going to be staying here for a while. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, basically, well, your character's kind of like, I don't know if it's uh, because I'm a Pokemon or not, but I really like this house. And I guess until I figured this out, this is where I am. So you just got to deal with it, I guess. Yeah. And you get some bandanas and you decide to make a team name. Um, so I called ours the, the bespoke Amon since we're, you know, bespoke we're we're doing dealing with bespoke problems, you know. Boo. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and that was uh, kind of my experience so far. I haven't gone past like the first kind of opening moments of it, but it's it's nice. It's a it's a nice refresh. And not that the day, uh, not that the advance hasn't aged well, but this is it's just beautiful the way everything. Well, a lot of rendered. people don't have it. A lot of people have the switch now, so you know. Exactly. And well, they could have just done a direct port. It's nice that they've updated everything. I also didn't know until this game that like Bulbasaur's little like nubs on its head, which I'm pretty sure kind of ears, but they actually like move kind of independently in this game. See, you can't get that on like GBA. No, they did a great job on the uh, on the animation and stuff. Yeah, it's really nice. So yeah, that's been that's been my fun little like throwback um to some classic RPGs, which kind of leads me into uh, the other game I've been playing, but we'll get to that in a moment, because now I want to talk about Giant Fighting Robots, because you were playing Battletech, finally. Talk about a throwback to old RPGs and other such related things. It's kind of, Uh, yeah, Um, because Battletech, is it modeled off of um, Mech Commander? To one degree or another, it's modeled off of the old war game. Um, I don't know... I'm not very familiar with the original Battletech uh, board game and or war game. It's um, pretty fun. It's it's definitely a, a good RPG, right? Because it's neat that you can jump in and out of the mechs. Like it's not all about like big giant battle mech fighting. Like I have a few minis myself, actually. Right. Yeah. And and they. I mean, everything that exists in Battletech comes from that. So yeah, they have your infantry and your all your combined arms, your aircraft, your tanks, and your of course, your mechs, which are the centerpiece. Battletech, old tabletop war game, came out. Uh, it was uh, made by FA, FASA, FASA. Um, mm-hmm. They Modeled off uh, of Robotech, right? 
uh, well, so they, they used to or be called Battle by. Droids, and then Star Wars gave them trouble for that, so they called it Battle Tech, and they started off by getting like surplus miniatures from Japan and building um, a war game around it. And so there's a lot of Robotech representation. There's like a, one of the most famous examples is the Marauder, which is this massive, like heavy chicken legged uh, battle, uh, you know, mech, like yeah. walking tank several stories high with uh, like a big cannon on top and, and two, two arms, that, arms that sling underneath and is a very iconic that's that's very much from if you look up macross you'll see that's like a fodder enemy in the macross <laughs> it sure anime. is and it's like one yeah, of the most powerful in, battle mechs in battle yeah in battle tech it's one of the more powerful iconic mechs <laughs> but which is the right move because that thing looks awesome but um, yeah, so th- there's there's a there's a pretty interesting history about the, all the legal stuff they're going with going through with Harmony Gold, the owners of the U.S. license of Robotech, which includes Macross, and there's been this twisty turny um, kind of legal battle in real in the real world we live in that has affected the lore of the game. <laughs> so they've called some things Lost Tech. Uh, and they incorporate it into like various dark ages the universe goes into um, as they lose licenses to certain designs or whatever. It's been this crazy thing. But um, anyway, that's what this Battletech game by Harebrained Schemes is more or less based on. But it's a turn-based tactics game, so it's smaller scale. It doesn't deal so much. I mean, in Battletech board game, you could have smaller sta- scale conflicts, but uh, this game by Harebrained Schemes is very much a classical turn-based tactical game with the strategy elements uh, which take the form of uh, kind of um, an overarching management of your mercenary company uh, in which your, is what we all love usually in the series <laughs> that's the best part of the mech warrior series the best part of battletech is when you're a mercenary and you insert yourselves into conflicts in some small way but your small dramas are big dramas to you um and it's all about managing your money. Yeah, taking it would be contracts. Interesting to see this set into uh, like the clan case system that you're like trying to jockey for position and stuff. We haven't really seen that super hard, even though MechWarrior Two, which kind of really put the series on the map, was all in the clans world. You didn't really have the narrative of trying to like yeah jockey for position to get better missions or this or that whatever. You just kind of as you went through stories, you naturally just progressed in power in the game. Anyways. Yeah. In 1995's MechWarrior 2, there's a score system, and and that is affected by your rank. There's various ways you can raise your rank. It really has no consequence to the game itself. But no, it'd be cool to have like a political intrigue awesome. aspect to it all, like the, the depth yeah. they've put into like the mercenary and inner sphere management systems. Yeah. But anyways, I was I digress. You were saying that yeah yeah. So this has a lot of like the the resource management of managing a mercenary company. You're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you earn money and uh, a lot of. Uh, a lot of the management of your financial management and your equipment management revolves around uh, collecting salvage from the battlefield. So you can pick up salvage mechs and weapons. And what you're allowed to pick up is part of the negotiations for your contracts, which also affect your relationship to various factions. And so I'm playing through the main campaign right now. There have been three DLC packs. I'm reviewing it for the site and I'm doing all of it. And the game came out last year, but the last DLC pack, it also came out last year, but it came out in um, December. It came out very late, so in oh, nice. a way, it's still a little bit relevant. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so, um, what did they add with this new DLC pack? Uh, so um, the first one they added was like 
I actually don't know the timeline of which they added when, except for this last one. But they added one that was like you could go on extended campaigns, which means you could you have to do several missions in a row without being able to repair your mechs. Um, they have one uh, that um, uh, that uh, they added urban areas, um, so much more close quarters fighting and having to adjust your tactics to the urban environment. And they added one uh, that uh, called Heavy Metal, which has added a bunch of new weapons and mechs, including a weapon that um, they invented in the universe for this game. Uh, it's I haven't used it yet, but I know that it's uh, it's a mortar, and it's the only I think it's the only area of effect weapon in the game. So it's like a massive artillery piece, basically, on your mech that can which devastate can be an messy. area. Yeah. Yeah, that can do some damage. Um, and this this is this one's urban warfare, right? That one is heavy metal, which is the last one. Oh, okay, so because so there was flashpoint, flashpoint, then urban warfare, which was the summer. So the latest one is heavy metal. That just came heavy out. metal, right? Gotcha. And so um, some of that stuff uh, is you can see it in the campaign, in the main campaign, um, uh, which is like the different biomes they've added and things like that. And I think you'll come across the mechs, the new the mechs they've added and the weapons they've added in the campaign, although I can't confirm that at this point. Um, but it's just amazing. I, I love this game so much. I'm, I'm going to have trouble catching my breath because it's hard for me to not just gush about it. But um, It's okay. I picked it up not too long ago, and I'm eager to get into it as well. And yeah, definitely you, selling it for me. If you're able to, you should. I mean, it, the way it works in, in this game, the, the, what makes it different from like XCOM or something, which I also love, is uh, just the... That you can actually of... hit things. <laughs> actually, the opposite. <laughs> uh, often it's the opposite problem, but um, the it's there's so much attrition going on. There's so much money that you lose. That like any encounter, you can't escape an encounter unscathed. Practically, like in XCOM, it's all about keeping your guys completely safe. But in BattleTech, it's often necessary to put your guys in in your 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 people in harm's way and the mechs can take a lot of damage but every missile that hits your mech is like money that you're gonna have to use to repair it you know what i mean um so there's always this drag and this resistance to your uh progress and it's a game that requires you to put in some work like it's not an easygoing breezy snappy game you can't just like power level and no, because so much of what you do depends on your equipment. Now, your pilots are also very, very important. They gain skills. That's where like the RPG part comes in. That and the dialogue, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But the they gain experience. You assign that experience to their uh, uh, to their stats, and you have four tracks that you can assign experience to and they all deal with different aspects but you can only have uh there are at some point you'll come across skills that you can uh, that you can use in battle like multi-targeting or sensor lock or things like that oh that's that, dope that makes me think of like front mission and stuff yes but what but you can only have two tracks that involve the skills so you can't have a mech warrior with all the skills but you eventually, if okay. they survive long enough, you could ostensibly level all their stats up. So even if they are leveling up stats that aren't on the track where their skills are, they still improve in those aspects, whether it's their defense or their targeting or whatever. Um, but their actual skills 
are only you can only choose two tracks that you can apply those skills to so that means that your mech warriors will be much more specialized and that kind of leads me to um the narrative aspect of this game both the hand crafted and the emergent part parts of it um this the story is really interesting it involves you trying to put a deposed queen back on her throne because her uncle is being a real jerk and performed a coup and kicked her out and whatever and which house is and this it, for this is in the periphery the uh so it's not they don't there's not a member of the great house oh, at okay. all Interesting. Um, they're in some basically in some backwater but you find out as it goes on that they actually are have made ties to the the Lyran commonwealth oh okay i was gonna guess house lyo but cool well yeah one of the houses um the Lyran commonwealth is part of Steiner? Oh, the Federated Sons are Steiner and Avion. Yeah. I thought the Lyran. Uh, the Lyran, I think, is Liao and. Oh, oh uh, the White Horse. The Torin Concordat? <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Yes, yes. Anyway. That's the one. We're getting super nerdy now. <laughs> yeah, we're getting into the weeds with this thing. But it's, Anyways. It's, it's, I don't mean to dismiss it because it is really great. Like, um, the characters are really good. The Queen. Uh, uh, Kamea Arano is her name. She's she's very flawed and very good and sympathetic, but she's also like from the ruling class. And sometimes I find her to be kind of entitled and kind of you know not so great. <laughs> That's okay. But don't have to like everybody. But, but she's a person and she's a good character. And you can you and so whoever you are, you pick your character's appearance and name and everything. Um, you guys have a history. You were actually part of the Royal guard that was supposed to escort her to her coronation when oh, she got, when the coup happened. Um, but even before that, there's some history between you as far as like, uh, you working for her. And, uh, anyway, it's, it's really cool. So it's, it's a good story. The characters are cool. Your crew is really cool, but then your pilots, um, they, so as you're traveling through space, it, again, as this game, you know, it, it, it requires you to put in some work. It also requires you to be a little bit patient because the repairs take time. The um, Any upgrade you make to your ship, uh, your spaceship takes time. When your pilots get injured, which they inevitably will, that takes time for them to heal. So there's a lot of like waiting. Um, but as you're traveling through space, uh, these dialogue boxes will pop up randomly like FTL, like an FTL. And they usually involve your crew but it, they, it can be any number of scenarios but they usually involve your crew and just to illustrate i had this really great experience where one of my uh i had a, one of those uh dialogue boxes pop up and it was a mercenary commander from another mercenary group that was like hey man i heard that you have so and so in your team just so you know she's not good like she's a thief and she's she's messed me up so just be careful and I was like, I gave you a choice to delete it, to fire the mech warrior, or to like show her the message. So I showed it to her, and she was like, oh, man, I can't be trusted anywhere. Like, us ex-cons get no second chances. It's messed up. Uh, and it, your pilots have these certain tags that are assigned, like if they're from outer space. or like, It's all about where they're from and their traits, and it affects certain aspects about them. And so she got a new tag that was rebellious. And after a couple months and a couple missions um they one of my staff called me and said hey we found her uh, spacewalking unauthorized 
she was doing extravehicular activity out in space unauthorized, and that's extremely dangerous. We don't even know how she got out there. And so I call her in, and basically what I did is, like, I have I had the choice to go on one last spacewalk with her and the engineer of my ship so that she can show us the flaw that allows her to exit the ship while it's in space. And when that happened, um, it was there was a dialogue where she was just like, you were floating there and the nebula was reflected in her visor. And she tells you over the radio, like all the fighting in my life that I've experienced, all the death and all the screaming, they're all gone when I'm out here. This is the only place where I can feel at peace. And that was like, she lost the rebellious tag and gained another like positive tag. And it was really cool to see. And on the next mission, and it was, it, shattered my heart because on the next mission this particular pilot was really good with survivability so she could kind of make her mech last longer and it'll take less damage in certain circumstances and so we went on this really grueling mission that was like a really long fight and she was taking hit after hit she was one of my brawlers so she was piloting a heavier mech she would get in close and fight up close and she's taking hit after hit i don't like where this is going pete (laughs) yeah and she's taking hit after hit and just shrugging them off and i had her go down this uh kind of ramp toward this area where all these big ships were parked on the ground and she was getting pelted and and eventually um her mech had a short range missile system in it and finally all those shots burrowed into her front armor and hit the short range missile bin and caused an internal ammo explosion no those are the worst And this was like just after I had this experience with her where we kind of left off on a good note and, um, you know, our relationship, our professional relationship had been repaired somewhat. And she just like just went up in flames right in front of me. I love that you can get that investment then, though. That's absolutely lovely. The game is very good. Yes. Very hard. Yeah. (laughs) It's the investment that you have in your characters, even though they're somewhat procedurally generated, is great. Uh, the battles are like so good because each each mech has so many different weapon systems that each mech is almost like several different units in in a regular turn-based tactics game and they can take so much punishment but at the same time it costs so much money and when they go down it represents such a huge loss the game i mean it's truly truly special and i've been playing so much of it and i'm so thrilled to do it every single time um, so I'm writing the review for it. It's going to take a while, but but be on the lookout for that. And definitely, BattleTech is such a special game, and not the kind you see too often anymore. That just sounds absolutely beautiful. Uh, that you can get so invested in the narrative, as I was uh, sorry interrupting you with, but uh, I just it's I'm yeah, sorry. It's awesome. Oh, it's okay. I uh, <laughs> I'm giving. I'm also getting eager to want to chat about it now. Beyond just like the story beat stuff. Does like her rebellious nature, for example, would that influence anything in the gameplay uh, at all in battle and stuff? Like not following orders or just going rogue on her own? Like is is every turn controlled with every member that you do, or is there some autonomy with the AI or something? Or um, I wish I looked into this. I actually didn't experience any. Uh, there's no autonomy with the AI. I didn't experience any. Um, strong effects from that tag that she received but i think what it does is as you go through a mission you have a little gauge that builds called resolve and that allows you to perform special acts like um like 
If you have enough, you can, for example, target a specific part on a mech. So if an enemy mech has a powerful weapon on their arm, you can target that arm and blow it up. Um, and I think, and I could totally be wrong about this, but I think with the rebellious tag, a pilot builds the resolve slower. So okay. you can still attack and move and everything, but doing but some of those special actions. stats differently. Yeah. It sounds a lot like um, Massive Chalice, which, did you play Massive Chalice? Because it sounds like it would have been definitely in your wheelhouse. No, we, we talked about this last time I was on, though. We did, yeah. I, I still haven't talked about it. <laughs> and it's it's very much like that. Like That was one of the things I absolutely loved about the game beyond the the party management system, so to speak. But yeah, you're, I think it's one thing I didn't really talk about is that the, the characters do get different, um, yeah, I guess for lack of a better term, tags as well. So you can have people that were like, they're alcoholics. So like that affects certain stat aspects for them. Um, yeah. and also will be prone to, uh, you could have a random event that will come up being like, Oh, the night before a battle, so-and-so got drunk, you know, so you have to either reprimand them or they're just not going to be that effective in combat or stuff like that. Like it does influence, yeah, the story and a little bit within the gameplay as well, but not in the actual matches itself because you have full control over the character, but it does influence stats and such. So I think it's, I love it when that's in there. Cause yeah, it makes them less of a, just a disposable pawn, so to speak, like you, you will have some benefit or detriment from the way this specific character behaves. And that's super cool. Yeah. And I find myself role, role playing my role playing so hard as the commander of this mercenary group, like, uh, the, in the battle tech, there's a really famous mercenary company called the gray death legion. And, uh, one of my, probably my top pilot got poached by them basically. And they were like, the Grey Death Legion contacted them. He showed me the message and he was like, I don't know, man, this is family here, but this is also a huge opportunity. Like, uh, like I wanted to show you at least to like respect you and everything, but I'm really thinking about taking this chance. And I, I role played so hard and wanted my mech warriors to like me so much that I'm like, okay, go ahead. And you know what? Like, th- cause the Grey Death Legion was saying, we'll pay any mercenary company. We'll pay the mercenary company a hundred thousand dollars. If we poach one of your guys, we want to, you know, to be a little bit fair about it. And I was like, you just take the hundred thousand man. And then what that, what happened is I lost him and that sucked. Cause he was like, he gave me a hug. I was like, thank you, man. I'm not going to forget you. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, he, he took part of his money and threw a big party for the whole crew. And so that gave like high, higher morale for, the, uh, for my whole crew on the ship. So I got like a little bit of benefit from it in that way. Well, that's you nice. Know. Instead of just yeah, and throwing them out often, the door. Often, yeah, often those random events or, or stuff like that, or even more, uh, low stakes where like someone brings in a huge animal you've never seen before, but they're like, Oh man, I love this stuff. I'm going to cook it up real good. You watch. And then you, you can either let her throw it away or whatever, or you can let her cook it up and she cooks it up for everyone. And everyone is like really weird about it at first, but they end up really enjoying it. And that causes like high spirits on your ship for the next 30 days or whatever, you know, it's cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And FTL had all that too, where you, something looks like a good idea. And it's like, it turns out it was a murder machine and it killed two of your crew oh, members yeah. before you subdued it. And you're like, F me. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Good game, play it. If you have any disposition toward tactics games, play Battletech. I mean, one. what are you doing? Come on. I'm sorry. I haven't had time. I want to. <laughs> I just bought it and I still haven't had time. It's ugh. anyways. Um Yeah, that's 
sounds like a dream though uh, and definitely something i could lose myself in for a good long while um other games uh, for me to lose myself in as i was talking about mystery dungeon i've also picked up for the site uh, wizardry labyrinth of lost souls which is again like another old school throwback to gosh another wizardry game first person can you imagine yeah. it's basically wow. wizardry but anime <laughs> i saw some of the art and i was like oh this is i guess um that I mean, wizardry was so important in the in the development of JRPGs and the influ- in influencing creators of JRPGs. And I know that very early on, the creator of wizardry moved to Japan. I think he married someone from Japan and has lived there for a long time and has developed a, a lot of wizardry games, I guess, were developed by him in Japan, even the later ones, or, or I mean, mostly the later ones uh, that are still old right now. But um, so it, it, it does kind of fit, like might as well just go hard into this the seems Hayward band. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it definitely it just feels like yeah like a nice anime coding on it in a different way from like Etrian Odyssey. Like I still feel having played a bit of Etrian Odyssey and now playing Wizardry, I think I would rather be playing Etrian Odyssey just because a that whole mechanic translates so beautifully to the DS and the 3DS with being able to map your progress as you go. Because mm. um, I like the old school nature of being able to like draw your map as you go, but it is very tedious <laughs> right now because. Uh, I've noticed. Wait, are you having to, are you having to draw your map on paper? Sure right? am, because there's no like this is that game. Thing. What? Yeah, there's no in-game thing in this PC version of it to to map your progress in the game, and there's also no manual for it. So that was really annoying too. You just kind of get thrown in, and you're just trying to figure it out as you go. And Sounds like wizardry. Yeah. So you're just kind of like I chose to be a gnome. I based it on my uh, my last D and D character. It's a little gnome named Ur, who's a wizard. And uh, it was just like, oh, he needs money to pay for his tuition from school now that he's done. Well, better go adventuring. And that's basically all you get for plot. And so <laughs> I get thrown into just trying to explore this town and figure out what everything does. How to go find a quest. How to add people to my party. How to arrange it all. Realizing that everything is obscenely expensive uh, if I want to upgrade anything. So it's it's definitely uh, it's a grind. Like this is an old school grind, and it's going to be that. I know I can buy maps for the dungeons eventually, but again, stuff's expensive. So I need to go down and do some monster grinding to get the money first before I do that. And even then, like I almost died on like my first encounter when I went down there, uh, and I had like a full four four person party, but just they just got good hits on me, and I yeah I didn't quite have things arranged properly and. It was mm. it was close call. <laughs> have you played any of the old wizardry games? I I feel like I did. Uh, I have once upon a time, but it's been ages. Okay, so you might not have an answer for me, but I was just wondering how different or the same or how much new stuff they may or may not have added into this one. I feel like there is really no new stuff added in. Like all your the enemies show up in different rows, and they can shuffle rows as they go. So, and then same with you, uh, I haven't seen if I can move people around, reorder them during combat, but like you have your front line that can all just do attacking, and then you have your people on the back who defend, which you would reserve for either archers or your, um, your mages. Users. So yeah. that way they just, they're, they're less likely to pull aggro. And you just go through the, the thing, like tile by tile, left, right, look around, and then you might randomly have an encounter. You might not. You might find a door that's locked. You might not uh, as you go. Like, you, And then you'll come up to these just walls of black. And you, and then that's an area of darkness unless you have a, a torch for it. 
and you can just blindly go through. There'll maybe be little messages. Like, it's it's a very old-school dungeon grind. It feels like I'm playing Dungeons & Dragons without a DM, so to speak. And in that regard, it's all very fun, but, like, graphically, it is very dated. Like, it's a 3D environment, but it's the, the textures and everything are pretty basic, and the mm. monsters are all little, like, 2D cutouts, essentially. Like, they're not animated. They look like something out of, like, RPG Maker or whatever. They don't animate the monsters? Wow. No. They're just little 2D still things uh, that look like... I guess they're going for an aesthetic. They are. It it is a very bare-bones... It's it's weird. It's got a high production value, but a cheap production value. Like, what they've put there, they've clearly put a lot of work and artistry into. Like, the character models, uh, like, the, the character designs look really great. Like, the way they've drawn out each of the different heroes. And the monsters look really cool, too, for the most part. And, again, the dungeon aesthetic is there, and it looks good, but it definitely also looks like you're playing like a slightly better like PlayStation game kind of thing. Right. Oh, right. It's all it's all cool. Like th- that's all those are all ideas that I think are neat. And you know, we've seen games do that like Legend of Grimrock did that and everything as far as like modern games trying to be an old school hardcore dungeon crawl. Um but the only reason why it surprises me is because they made a wizardry game. I think it was Wizardry 8 like in the early 2000s that was fully yeah. 3D. So it's weird that they would go back. I don't know if the budget was cut or what. And then that this is being like, when you start the game up, it's with a very Japanese pronunciation. It's like, Wizardry Renaissance kind of comes out as like the title thing before it even goes to the menu, that it's a Wizardry Renaissance. And I was like, uh, mm. is it? Anyway, it's, uh, it is a very interesting game that looks like, it kind of feels like the, the Sharknado of video games where they didn't put a lot of budget into it but could get a high return just because of the aesthetic and the appeal and the simplicity of it. Like, there's certainly something to it, uh, having that sort of simplicity in this game. Like, it's you just go into it, you know what you're getting. You're going to draw out your maps, and if you have the time for that, it's fun. Like, it is very satisfying, but I know it's going to get very tedious when I'm trying to get through this in a timely fashion for review. So uh, I need to save up money for those maps, because it's just it can be hard to remember where and what you're going for. But it's neat. The annoying part for me was I drew my map starting at a certain point and then realized it was going a lot higher than I thought it was, so I had to redraw it lower down my page. So that was obnoxious. Oh, man. <laughs> yep. Classic. Old school uh, PC problems, man. Right? It's, that was obnoxious, but otherwise it's hearkening me back to like even like Fantasy Star. But I, again, I found Fantasy Star at least had a really compelling world and character, whereas this is just, yeah, your bare bones, basic fantasy, and there's no story at the moment to speak of. So. Well, Wizardry was always like the hardest of the hardcore. Like I don't think Fantasy Star was nearly as punitive as the Wizardry. Like Wizardry was like yeah, the dungeons weren't nearly as so winding. hardcore. And they this- made that Wizardry game where you were the bad guy and they had people submit their end game parties to the developers. This was like in the eighties still, and so you were playing the bad guy fighting like these completely min maxed player created parties <laughs> throughout the whole game. They expected you to play the game that way. Oh, that would be really neat in, in a concept, but also sounds really hard. <laughs> right. It's just wild. So, like, in, in a way, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that they're still being, like, really, you know, willing to punch you in the face. Yeah, exactly. And this game is very much based out of Japan as well, because uh, all the voice work and everything, like the, the little clips that uh, speak when t- people take damage and stuff, it's very much all Japanese voice actors and such. And mm. just the entire text of the game is localized to English. So people awesome, will say, yeah. like, oh, hello, how are you? But it'll be all a Japanese phrase. Or, like, your party members will take it 
injuries and they'll like let loose some sort of exclamation and you're like i have no idea what you just said right so i find that's weird and there's no but with the, for those exclamations and stuff there's no text to say what they said so it's just weird that like, sure it feels like they just threw some english on and shipped it out the door yeah I mean, I guess if it's just like NPC barks or whatever, it's not a huge deal. If they're not meant to communicate anything, that no. is. But I would be curious as to why, like, my wizard, who took, like, two or three damage, then exclaimed a full sentence. I was like, what did you just say? He probably yeah. said, ow, oh, my leg, dude, ouch. Well, exactly. It's, it's it's one thing to just be like, Achoo! you know, and take damage. But when they're like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, that really hurt. Please do something, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know. It was, it was interesting. But All right. whatever. Uh, either way, it's a very bare bones experience, and um, so far I like the simplicity, but uh, we'll see how far that goes. I'm hoping something a little bit more involved than um, grinding for my life will will come up. But right now, I'm just trying to like grind to get some decent enough gear so that way I can progress on forward. And, and yeah, so uh, part of the way you were saying that you're you're playing BattleTech, like it's on PC on Steam. Um, yeah, it's on Steam. But it's not on any console or anything. No. But the way I'm playing it, because right now I'm in the middle of renovating some, you know, my basement, which is where my office is going to be and other stuff. But um, so right now my computer's hooked up in the laundry room, and I've been playing a lot on Steam Link. And whatever, whatever game I can and what games make sense for it, and whenever I can, I play on my Steam Link. So I have, everything's uh, playable on it? Well, I have the Steam controller is the thing, which I largely like in concept but it's not good for most games that most people will probably want to play okay because <laughs> you can't just hook up i guess a mouse and, and a keyboard to whatever your steam link thing is because it goes through i could device, potentially right? i'm just i just have a family and uh you know my spouse would probably have something to say about that um but what i've been doing i just found out that this was a thing but it's been a thing i guess since march and i think it might still be in beta but it's steam link anywhere and so if any of you have a steam account and are thinking about like Stadia or whatever, don't do that. Just get, <laughs> just download the Steam Link app on your phone, or even the Steam Link app is on a lot of smart TVs now and stuff um, because oh, the actual Steam Link device is discontinued. But um, I've been playing Battletech, for example, on my phone, and that whole game you can get through with one mouse button and a mouse. So my touch screen is my trackpad, and I tap to click, and it's just perfectly playable over a 4g connection is way better than you would imagine way more stable than you might think and i've even started branching out a little bit and play i started playing gato roboto which isn't an rpg but it's a metroidvania it's a really cute black and white little metroidvania vania um published by devolver and like even over a 4g network it's pretty responsive there is definitely lag, but it's acceptable for almost anything. And as far as RPGs goes, I started just barely um, Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen. I hooked up my Bluetooth controller to my phone and was just playing a little bit oh, over Steam Link anywhere. Speaking my... of old things. Yeah, yeah. That game is great, though. I love the start so far. Um, but just with a Bluetooth controller, I had to do some configuring um, because Steam and Steam Link is made to... Um, except a lot of configurations so you might have to put in some work but certainly if you're playing games on a touch screen you can arrange the controls however you want or it accepts um, just a bluetooth controller a generic android bluetooth controller it's not so i will say the app is not available for ios as of right now 
So if oh, you want to get it on your phone, you're going to need an Android. But I guess um, the architecture was probably built originally in an Android system or something like that. Yeah. So the Steam Link app has been around for a long time, but only, I guess, since March have they let you just play. Like, you act, if your computer is on and Steam is open, you can access it from anywhere. You can access it over the cell network. You can just, like, have your computer. You need a heck of a lot and of data for that, though. It devours data. So if you, make sure you have an unlimited plan if you're going to do it that way. But even just if you're in another Wi-Fi, that's not your own house. Before, you had to be on the same Wi-Fi that your computer was on. Oh, nice. You don't have to be on the same network. network. Okay, that's handy. That, yeah, that's the whole point. You, you can take conceivably it take it to a friend's house. So, yeah, the difference is, you know, because Stadia to me is just kind of crazy because, like, you have to buy the games again, and they let you use their servers, and also you're paying a monthly fee. But with Steam Link Anywhere, it's free, and whatever games are already in your Steam library, you can just play. Um, so there's a lot of options there, and it's great. It's been great for me with Battletech, and as I don't really have access to my computer or a lot of my games right now, it's been a great way for me to still be involved especially for like writing for the site and everything yeah. and just be able to enjoy my hobby so steam link is like pretty cool i've i've been just flabbergasted at how good it how how well it works and just how much fun do you need is. a con- I mean, I could just, steam controller for it or can you use any bluetooth controller or anything for it any bluetooth controller oh dope okay that's nice because i know there's yeah okay great uh, and this episode was brought to you by Steam. No, I'm kidding. Valve. Uh, if only <laughs> Valve was sponsoring us, that'd be, that'd be great, but not the case. Uh, at any rate, that sounds awesome. And actually, yeah, something that is compelling to me because there's been certain games that I would rather play on my big TV than in the office. So maybe that's something I can look into too. And yeah. picking up myself a solid Bluetooth controller. I mean, Scott's always extolled the virtues of uh, the 8-bit dough a recent like SNES looking one. So maybe they'll finally yes, pick it up just for good. that because I have a Logitech one, but it needs a USB receiver thing. It's not full Bluetooth. It connects through a USB wirelessly as a little USB diode that you plug in yeah. and that. But anyways, but yeah, that's sounds awesome. And uh, like a fully usable thing over uh, whatever the mess that Stadia is. Uh, but that being said, that's going to wrap our episode up for us because uh, we just figured we'd keep it a nice little quick one with just the two of us because you want to listen to the two of us talking for two hours, even though I'm sure we could. But, you know, we got stuff to do. So do you. But thank you so much for listening, folks, as we uh, kick off the new year. As always, you can uh, send us messages and stuff at podcast at rpgfan.com. I've got one email that I need to address just this episode. We're out of time, sadly, so I will get to you, sir. But otherwise, uh, please send in emails. I like getting the feedback. I like getting people's stories about what they've been playing and what they're up to and stuff that I can share. And uh, also, you can check out our other great podcast that we have at the site. We've got Retro Encounter that's doing all kinds of uh, games on a very regular basis. Because, as I always say, Mike's a machine and puts out a lot of episodes. We've got Rhythm Encounter. You can go listen to that, listen to some music. It's old. We haven't done a new one in a while, but it's still there. And Hat and Eric have uh, the Phoenix Edge podcast that uh, is keeping up to date with current events, much more so than we are. But that's the way it is. We play things. We got time. We don't. Whatever. Anyways, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have yourselves a good one. Bye. Bye.